calling your attention uh, this afternoon to 2 Kings uh, chapter 6. second half of this chapter uh, presents an interesting narrative to us. We have the account of the city of Samaria coming under siege. And this siege lasts a long time, and it becomes quite severe, severe enough to where uh, grotesque things start happening within the city. Cannibalism takes place within the city. And we, we read in verse 24 of Second uh, Kings 6, it came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his host and went up and besieged Samaria. So like I say, that, that, uh, uh, that siege lasted a long time, quite lengthy, quite severe, and it reached the point, like I say, where cannibalism was taking place, and that led to a pact between two mothers. We will boil my son today and eat him, and then we must do the same with your son tomorrow. And when tomorrow came, the one mother wanted to back out of the deal. So they go to the king to plead this case to the king. And the king becomes so angry at what has happened that we read um, in verse 31. Here's the king's response to the report of these two ladies. Then he said, God do so and more also to me. If the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, shall stand on him this day. He sends a delegation, presumably to arrest the prophet, to have him executed. Elisha anticipates this. He knows this delegation is coming. And so he is discussing this with the people that are with him in his house. And in verse 33, we read, And while he yet talked with them, that is, Elisha talking with those with, with him, Behold, the messenger came down unto him, and he said, Behold, this evil is of the Lord. What? Should I wait for the Lord any longer? And other translations uh, make it maybe a little clearer when they turn that uh, last statement in verse 33, and it reads this, this way, Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? And then coming into chapter 7, then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord, thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Then a Lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shall not eat thereof. I want to deal with that question for just a couple of moments today at the end of chapter 6 in verse 33. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? There might be those in our gathering today that are tempted to ask that question. And there is an implication behind that question. The implication is, that the waiting time has been very long. It's rather interesting to note if you compare the second half of 2 Kings 6 with the first half of the chapter. In the first half, you find a similar situation, but a different city. It's the city of Dothan. 
The city of Dothan is under siege. Elisha is in the city. On that occasion, you may recall that uh, there is deliverance to the city by an angelic host. You have the account there of Elisha praying that uh, his servant's eyes would be opened, and they are, and he sees this angelic host. And the city is marvelously and supernaturally delivered on that occasion. And then we come to the second half of the chapter. Similar type thing, different city. The city now is Samaria. It's under siege. But in this instance now, there is no deliverance from an angelic host. But what you have instead is the situation becoming more dire, going from bad to worse until all sorts of grotesque things start happening within the city gates. Why should we wait for the Lord any longer? Our waiting time has been long. These prayer meetings on Sermon Audio have gone for some time now, and the burden for prayer for revival has gone on even much longer. And yet, I think if we draw the spiritual counterpart to what we read in the narrative, uh, we would have to say that basically what we have seen is the spiritual famine becoming worse, a famine for the hearing of the word of God. Things have gone from bad to worse in spite of the fact that the waiting time has been long. So that's the implication behind the question. I'd suggest to you as well that there is a terrible alternative to waiting on the Lord that is also presented by the narrative. And that alternative is that we cave in to anger and bitterness against God himself. Again, the words of verse 31, this is the king now. Then he said, God do so and more also to me if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, shall stand on him this day. Oh, here is what you might call the antithesis of revival. A surge of energy sweeps over the king. But it's not an energy toward the Lord. It's an energy against the Lord and against the Lord's servant. And there is a caving in to bitterness and anguish and despair. And I would suggest to you today that we would do better by far to go to our dying day pleading to the Lord for revival rather than caving into this kind of bitterness. There's a text in Hebrews that frightens me at times. It's in Hebrews 12 and verse 15, which speaks of looking diligently, lest the, the grace of God fail, lest there spring up in you a root of bitterness that defiles you and troubles many. Bitterness is not a condition that we want. It's one that we need to avoid at all costs. And yet in this narrative, um, it is a terrible alternative that is presented to us uh, rather than continuing to wait on the Lord. So we have the implication behind the question, why wait on the Lord? We have a terrible alternative uh, presented in the narrative. But then thirdly, finally, we have an answer that Elisha gives, okay? And that's in chapter 7, verse 1. Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord, thus saith the Lord, 
Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Then a Lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? Rather interesting to note, isn't it, that this Lord, this uh, emissary of the king, he had reached the conclusion that this famine had lasted so long and had become so severe that not even God could do anything about it. The situation was that hopeless. It had gone that long. It was beyond being salvaged at all. And yet, if you were to go and read further into chapter 7, you discover that the very thing that Elisha predicted did indeed come to pass. So that raises an interesting question for us this afternoon. How far away are we from revival? We can't deny that the famine's been long. We can't deny that the spiritual famine has been severe. How far away is revival? I would suggest to you today, it is a word away. All it takes is for God to speak the word. Speak the word only, that centurion servant said, and my servant shall be healed. Speak the word only, O Lord, and the gospel will be empowered, and the word of God will go forth with great power, and the forces of darkness can be put to flight, and the people of God can be fed and blessed and refreshed and revived, and souls can be saved. It is but a word away. And so the lesson we draw from this narrative is that it does not matter how long the famine has been or how severe the famine has been. When once the Lord gives the word, nothing can withstand the blessing of God from coming and coming fully. So let's be encouraged to pray on for revival. Amen.